Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. And I'm Emma Lingen from the Hockey Writers. You can follow me at Emma underscore Lingen. So today on the show, we head into the All-Star break a little bit late this week because we wanted to make sure we got the Kings game in and the last three here for the Preds, not very good and sort of have we finally found where this Preds team is going to be? And so we'll get into that a lot. What have we learned about this team over the last three games and the last month and the last two weeks? And what does it mean for this team moving forward? Next week on the show, we'll spend a lot more time sort of looking big picture strategy wise at this organization from, hey, what is they? what do they need to accomplish in the final 30 plus games, the trade deadline, all that stuff. There are some notes, news and notes about the deadline. Tyson Berry, of course, back in the lineup, UC Saros in the news. So we'll get to some of those things today on the show. Uh, there is some really, really, really good news about Milwaukee. And so we'll get to that later because that does tie in to where this franchise is heading. So a lot of stuff to do today uh, on the show. However, before we do the, any of that, Michael Gallagher, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. That's right. Does anyone need a beer after watching the Preds the last week? It's 8.45 in the morning. I don't mean literally on the show, <laughs> although I do encourage our, our hosts on this network to consume adult beverages while pod, podcasting. I think it makes for better content. <laughs> so go to Jasper's, everybody, uh, if you need a beer while you watch the Predators or, or another cocktail. They've got other cocktails. Um, they've got frozen cocktails. They've got uh, all kinds of champagne specials on the on, on the weekends, brunch specials. they got happy hour almost every single day. they got bingo on every other Thursday uh, as well, but uh, home and road specials for Preds games. So go in there and watch games and have great food. And, of course, don't ever pay for parking. That's that's. Are, the they, are they still doing the free babysitting? Uh, that. That's just that's just my opinion, and my thoughts and opinions are not reflective of those of Jasper's. But yes, <laughs> yes, they will watch your children in the game room for free. Mine are of age where I can just send them into the game room. My wife and I can sit at the tall top and like watch them from the other room, and they're totally fine. They love uh, ski ball, although I've got to work on the seven year old's form for some reason. I don't know why. Like she's she's pretty good at softball and knows how to throw a baseball and hit a baseball, but can't roll a ski ball without looking completely ridiculous. So I don't know. I don't know. We need to get her back to Jasper's more often is what it sounds like. <laughs> Emma, favorite bar game if you're out at a bar? I haven't I haven't asked you this question yet. Ooh. Um, I would say I am I'm a ski ball fan. And for someone who, you know, those who can do and those who can't teach, and for someone who talks and writes about sports for a living, I am god awful at playing them. Uh, not for lack of trying, you know, when I was a kid, my parents, you know, tried me in soccer, basketball, everything. And I was terrible at them. I was a dancer. So, um, that that's where I was, but for someone who is generally pretty unathletic, I'm, I'm not bad at ski ball. I'll be okay. honest. So like if you saw a foosball table and a shuffleboard table and an air hockey table, pop a shot, all of which is free at Jasper's, you would go to, you'd go directly to ski ball. I mean, ski ball is pretty awesome. So. Yeah, I go to ski ball, maybe maybe air hockey. Uh, yeah, I, there, probably one of those. There's not a lot of bars with ski ball. <laughs> yeah, I feel like normally you have to go to one of those like barcade places to find ski ball. This is why you go to Jasper's. Uh, and by the <laughs> way, uh, being in dance that's basically yeah, that's basically a sport in my opinion. So um, I, I know I, that I I know I couldn't do any of that shit. <laughs> 
Well, I always say dancers are athletes, but dance isn't a sport. That's uh, I'm, I, I, yeah, my my body now is you know definitely like that of a retired athlete. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that you know that argument could be made. So last week on the show, we began to look at some of the pieces that have changed and some of the roster moves that might be coming. Some of the some of the lineup changes. Tyson Berry got moved onto the power play. Of course, this is. Uh, you know, setting up for his audition for the trade deadline. Um, we, we'll get to some of the deadline stuff coming up in Milwaukee in just a minute. But since we last spoke, of course, a 3-2 win over Minnesota, where they are down by one going into the third period, they need to score three goals in the third period to win that game. Uh, they get they give up seven points. Of course they do to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on the road because Le- Leon Dreisaitl, like 80% of Leon Dreisaitl's career points have come against the National Predators. Who I think they've, by the way, won like 16 straight games or something like that. Edmonton on a total tear right now. Um, and we're basically blown out of that game. And then they go up 3 nothing against Ottawa on the road. Proceed to give up three goals in the second period. Lose in overtime. I don't, I don't know how to describe the Kings game. I'm going to ask you guys to do that. Because I found it to be a microcosm of this entire team. Um, the Kings felt like they were in places... They needed to be on the ice very easily. It felt like the Predators had to bust their ass to get to where they needed to be, and it resulted in a lot of opportunities, but the Predators couldn't finish. And then one lazy mistake, and a guy in the slot scores a goal, and they go up 3-1, and the Kings win. Um, I know the Preds fought valiantly in the third period, outshot the Kings, and had better chances, and hit a lot of posts, and all that other stuff, power play opportunities. Uh, but it just, I don't know. Where, where, where are you guys at? They're now 1-4-1 and one in their last six, 7-9-1, and one. Basically, over the last month and a half, they're 13 and 13 at home. Um, where are you guys at on this last week and what you think it tells us about what this team actually is this year? Yeah, I think it's kind of this is where they're at. They they I feel like they kind of peaked in mid-December when they had that that really great stretch where they were winning a lot of games and or from mid, mid-November to mid-December uh, where they were winning a lot of games and Saros looked like he was rounding into form. And then ever since then, they haven't strung together a win streak longer than two games basically since, uh, what was it, December 19th. So they're they're kind of struggling. They're alternating wins and losses. And it's just kind of, it's, it's, I can only imagine how frustrating it is for fans. It's frustrating as a reporter trying to figure out who the hell this team really is. And just watching the Kings game last night, it almost felt like the last couple of years we talked about how how the Predators have traditionally like played down to their opponents. It, it fe- kind of felt like that last night. I mean, Nashville outshot LA 41 to 24. They won the faceoff battle 29 to 19. They had four power play opportunities to LA's one. They dominated and expected goals uh 2.6 to 1.17, and they still ended up losing. It just felt like one of those games where uh, the Preds had more chances. They were the better team. They controlled the possession. They controlled the pace of play. Everything. You look at the box score, and you 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 would assume that the Predators won that game. And it just kind of felt like it's just I I don't even know like what the word is. It's just so I don't want to keep saying frustrating, but it's just it's challenging to try to figure out like come to keep coming up for excuses for why they're not having success. And the guys in the locker room and Andrew Burnett even said like, yeah, we had a lot of chances. We should have cashed in on them. We should have won. We played really well. There's positives to take away, but how many times have we heard that this season? And Andrew Burnett kind of what struck me when he was talking last night was he was like, yeah, I've been really demanding of the players. They're kind of, they're up again. They're hitting the wall now. And I think the brakes kind of needed to, to recharge the batteries basically. And that 
I think that kind of encapsulate encapsulates where they're at. Like they're just exhausted. They're tired. And when you lose so many games, kind of, you're just, especially with a, an all-star break coming up, you're just kind of, it, feel, it feels like they're kind of on autopilot just to get to the break basically. Yeah. One of the other things that Brunette said before the Kings game was, you know, the, the message has to be focus coming into this game because you know, all these guys, their their wives are at home packing them to get ready for vacation for the All-Star break, and they still had a game in front of them. And I think, you know, I don't necessarily think that focus was the issue, but I totally agree. I mean, with everything that Brunette said and what you just said, Michael, that it looked like a team that was just tired and kind of over it. And, you know, it is frustrating. It's extremely frustrating to see, you know, I think According to natural stat trick, I think the in the Kings game, the Predators expected goals for uh, was 2.74 and the Kings was 1.31. But the actual score was four to one or four to two rather Kings. And so I think, you know, you see that I think the Preds outshot them by like 18 to three or something like that in the third period. So it's not for lack of effort. I think it's just, you know, it's very frustrating because we have heard this all season. It's a tale as old as time at this point. Like a lot of good chances. We're creating chances and, you know, that's all well and good, but you got to find the back of the net. Yeah. And and that's kind of why I felt like I was watching the entire season encapsulated in one game to some degree, because you have these moments of like, and again, even in the third period where they're playing with a little bit of desperation, they had complete control of the ice for big chunks of that game, of that period and uh, multiple power plays where they just like one of them, actually one of the power plays actually was pretty good where they put a bunch of good shots on net, but by and large, they just, they have not been good on the power play. I think there were six of 43 coming into the game uh, in their last chunk of time. And they just don't have any urgency. There was one part of the game. I think it was the end of the, was it the end of the first period where they had like 35 or 40 seconds and they just like, skated around in circles in the neutral zone and didn't even like have any urgency to get into the in <laughs> and the broadcast team was like what are they doing <laughs> um and so I, I just really good chances creating opportunity and then of course you come right back down the ice and i think it was their second i think it was the king's second shot of the period to your point emma about the number of shots they tie they, they Philip Forsberg scores on that nifty little goal. It's not a power play goal, but it's technically a power. It kind of fun- functions as a power play goal after a long stretch in the offensive zone. They come back and like they just leave a guy standing in front of the net wide open. And of course, on their second shot, he buries it and it puts it up 3-1. And that was kind of the moment where, all right, this is gonna be this is gonna be one of those games. And it's, you know, sort of brain farts on defense lack of force on the power play and focus and missing opportunities when you have them. And it feels like that's been a microcosm of the season for, to some degree. The power yeah. play, especially the one that you referred to where, I mean, it was getting painful to watch, yeah. honestly, like it just, it's, you know, and, and I'm not one of those people that's going to be screaming, you know, shoot it, shoot it. But in that case, it's like, what are you doing? You got to do something. I think that, you know, there was, like you said, there was no sense of urgency to get a shot off whatsoever. And they had the opportunity. And, you know, this was a Kings team that they do have a, a really good penalty kill, but that should have made the Predators 
elevate their game even more with that knowledge. And I think that it it was a very winnable game and, you know, special teams could have been the difference. And I think that's another thing, like you said, that's kind of a microcosm of the season. Special teams have not been consistent either. I think, you know, especially for a guy like Andrew Burnett, who kind of prides himself and has built a successful coaching career, you know, on his management of the power play, he had to be watching that, that power play sequence, Mm -hmm. like tearing his hair out, I would think. I mean, I was. So it just, you know, it kind of, it leaves you really scratching your head a little bit. Yeah. I remember, I think it was during training camp. um, We were asking Brunette kind of what the roles were going to be with the coaching staff. And he made it clear that he was overseeing the power play. And I think Alex Doherty asked him, how, how will you know if you're doing a good job? How will you know if you need to relinquish the, the power play duties to another coach? And he said, when the time comes, I'll know. I, I think we know something needs to change. The month of January, Predators power play went six for 47. They had the second most power play opportunities in the month of January. And they had six goals out of almost 50, 50 power play attempts. That's just, that's insane to me. And I was joking about how Peter Laviolette the, the Preds power play was so bad in 2019 that he hired a consultant to help him out. Like, I think that we're at that kind of level of, okay, something needs to happen with the power players got to be a shakeup. And I was watching it last night. Like Emma said that there was just no sense of urgency. They were just completely content to just skate circles around the goalie and just set. It, it felt like they were looking to try to set up the perfect pass. And I feel like there's too much of an emphasis on, on movement and creating space and trying to set up a shot that they, they almost forget like, part of the power play is to shoot the puck. Like it's just, it's baffling to me to watch them when they, when they're on the main advantage, it just almost feels like they're, I don't want to say they're too structured, but it feels like they're very regimented. Like they, they know where they have to go. They know they have to get off a certain number of passes. And it, it feels like, it's just like a continuous movement, like a circle around the net. And there's not a lot of passing. And Tyson Berry was on the power play last night. And it was very frustrating because you would think he like, okay, he knows he's being auditioned for the, for the trade deadline. And what is he really good at quarterbacking the power play? And he was passing and like, there were just, there were so many shooting opportunities and shooting lanes. That I feel like they just didn't see, or they just point blank missed that. I just don't understand what they're trying to do. It, it I agree. Like- I think when you, even when you watch practice, the, if you watch the team's practice at when they, when they get to special teams, when they start practicing the power play, it's so much passing. And it's like, I understand it's practice and you're trying to, you know, get, get the, the finer details down, but it, that's how they start every single power play practice. It's very formulaic the way that they pass back and forth and, you know, back and forth before they finally actually start the power play. And that's fine in practice, but you don't have the luxury of time to be able to do that necessarily in an actual game. And I think we saw that last night. Well, and to your point, Michael, like if there's three guys in your way, don't shoot the puck through three guys. Like I, we, I understand that, but the point of pass, pass, shoot is to create the lane and to create the opportunity. And that's why when you pass quickly, pass quickly and shoot quickly, you can get something onto the net. And so I, it felt like I was watching the Preds power play for like the last seven years, or at least that's what yeah. it felt like the last couple of couple last, of last night. It was very frustrating because it felt like they had someone go to like the corner of the net on either side and they try to get someone right in front of the crease and set it up. And when that, that didn't work, they would reset and they would try it again. They wouldn't try something new. They would just put different players in those positions. And it's like, there's only so many times you can try the same thing. You can switch it up with different players, 
But if LA knows what the hell you're doing, they're going to stop it regardless of who you have trying to get shots off and, and, and create passes and stuff. It's like you got to do something different, guys. I, I wish I rem- I wish I would have written down who it was, and maybe you guys can correct me on this. But there was one power play, opportunity, like one chunk of time during one of the power plays in the third period where they w- maybe it was Novak. I can't remember who it was, but they got somebody down on like the near post with the puck two and a half feet from the goal. And the Kings weren't even going to go over there and defend him. <laughs> They're just like, we know you can't shoot from there. And we'll just let you stand right next to the goal with the puck. And because he still didn't even try to like go. I mean, I'm not suggesting that that's you should try to shoot into a wall and at a two inch gap, you know, near the goalie's shoulder in the post or whatever from a bad angle. I'm not suggesting that's what you should do. But like the, you could just see the Kings were like, no, nah, we'll just let him handle the puck right there. And it's like as close to a goalie as you can possibly get without anyone being concerned about you. <laughs> it was it was very odd. To, to me, think- the only player last night that really kind of like did their job on the power play was Ryan O'Reilly. I felt like every time he got the puck, he was either passing to someone who was actually open or he was putting the puck on net. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they need to get better at, like Michael said, adjusting on the fly, like not following the same exact formula every single time because otherwise you become predictable. Well, and I think that can kind of lead us into, so I, well, I want to get into sort of this and this conversation about who they are will lead us into a conversation about what they need to do. And that's not necessarily a trade deadline conversation. It can be a part of it, but I think ultimately, and I think, you know, we've had this conversation, but I, I think this is what they are, that they are a 500 hockey team at home this year. And so at some point you are what you are. Uh, they have been a bad team on the penalty kill for most of the season. They're coming back to earth on the power play now below average. They, again, they are an under 500 team over their last 17 games that one little stretch where they went, I think it was like 13 and three, maybe like that's the outlier. I don't think that's what they are. I think this is what they are. Um, and so I think ultimately it's how much does the front office and the coaching staff and the players sort of accept what they are. Barry Trotz said, of course, on Wednesday before the game that there's an eight to 10 game evaluation stretch here before the trade deadline. The players are going to show us, quote unquote, what's going to happen. They're now out of the playoffs. They're like ninth place, 10th place in the in the conference. I think that's what they are. And I think the sooner and this is not for fans necessarily, but I think the sooner that the team and the organization accepts that and then works off of that with their strategy, I think the and I'm not saying they're not doing that. They might be the better off they're they're going to be. And so I this goes right in you know you guys know me. I'm like don't you're not a buyer. Don't fool yourself and trick yourself into being a buyer. This is not an organization that is close to winning a championship. Don't quote unquote go for it. I think that would be stupid to sort of slow down the rebuild. You need to accelerate the rebuild. And Michael, I know you even have some of our listeners sending you DMs about about that kind of process. Yeah, I feel like it's just kind of if you are a buyer, if you do go out and, and try to go and acquire a score at the deadline because you're you're trying to make one last ditch effort to get to the playoffs, what's what's changed? That's that's still the same David Poyle running back mentality. That's still convincing yourself that if you if you could just get the right piece, you can maybe get lucky because we saw what you did in 2016-17 when you got into the playoffs as the last seed and you made it to the cup final. Like people need to let go of 2017. Let it go. Yes, you got into the playoffs. You were the last seed to make it in. You had a hell of a run. Great job. That was a memory that you, as a fan, you should carry with you for the rest of your life. 
but that was the, there's so many there's so much evidence that, that was an anomaly and and a lot of the people on this team weren't on that team like times have changed things are different let 2017 go you're not one player away you're not two players away like the predators they are what they are right now and when they when they had that ridiculous 13 and 3 run or whatever we were like oh wow maybe this team is better than we thought they were now we're seeing they they haven't just like regressed to the mean they they've like they've punched the mean in the face like they're they're so far below what they were playing earlier like we've seen they haven't had more than a two game win streak in in a month and a half like this is this is what they are they're a 500 team we've been saying it for the last couple of weeks i we could debate for hours whether trading Saros is the right way to go or not. But I, I think the the best thing for for Trots to do is to sell off the pieces that have value that could bring you back assets. And the goal should be calling up some guys from Milwaukee and preparing everyone for next year. Because I feel like next year is when we're really going to find out kind of what the where the future of this team is heading. Thank you so much for saying that the let 2017 go because I've been saying that and no one takes me seriously because I, I will admit I was born and raised a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. So I remember 2017 very differently than most people in Nashville do. However, please rate, I, review and subscribe. <laughs> hey, I said born and raised <laughs> times have changed, but, but I think, you know, and so people think I'm coming at it from that angle saying, oh, you got to let it go. No, it's exactly what you said. Like everyone is clinging to that so hard. I feel like even within the organization and fans and that, like you said, that's great. That's a fantastic memory to have as a sports fan. It was a great time in the organization's history, but that's now seven years ago I mean, that that's a lot of time has passed like we really need to just move on and accept what we are i think and i do want to give a shout out to to matt like you said Braden, uh retrograde brewing he sent me a very long uh passionate <laughs> dm on twitter he uh he's been listening to us for a while he's and a part of the hockey writers and nashville hockey now apparently yeah yeah we want to want to give him a shout out but i'm not, not going to read the entire message but basically he's saying the same thing like he's like i don't care about playing entertaining hockey. He's like, I want to win a championship. And I think he shares the the mindset that a lot of fans do. Like they know that they're not going to compete this year. So they're okay with selling off some pieces. They're okay with maybe losing some players that they don't want. As long as they know there's a clear direction, like, Hey, this hurts right now. But if they were to say trade Colton Sissons, not reporting anything, just throwing that out there. Colton Sissons, a lot of people, a lot of fans love the guy and rightfully so he's a really good player. But if, if they trade Colton Sissons, like it may hurt right now. But the pieces that are coming back in that trade are going to help you next year and two years from now and three years from now. Like there, there, sh- there should be a point to the moves that they're making. And I just I don't feel like there's been a point to a lot of the moves they've, they've had since the beginning of the season. Well, so and also, I think to Clay's point at the beginning of his piece at Nashville Hockey Now, go to Nashville Hockey Now, go to the Hockey Writer, sign up for subscriptions. Uh, the offseason gave us a clear direction. They, they moved. They, they, David Poyle is gone. Barry Trotz is in. John Hines is gone. Andrew Burnett is in. Out with Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. That is all getting rid of 2017. That, that's what that is. And and again, the the whole like and I, I love Gober, by the way. Great episode with you and Gober over it on, on the Nashville scene with It's All Your Fault. And I love Gober to death, but he and I have known each other a very long time. And he has told me, well, you just get in. You never know what's going to happen. There, there's been like three eight seeds that made it to the Stanley Cup championship, right? Like one team has ever won it. 
It is and not the Kings, I believe, are two of them, right? Yeah, probably. Maybe it's three. It's maybe the, it's, King, maybe, the Kings and the Predators. So <laughs> maybe it's four. Maybe it's like four. But again, in the history of the sport, like this is not a just get in and see what happens kind of thing. And I was, I found myself looking at the standings after the game against the Kings, looking at Chicago. And I'm just looking at Chicago going, these assholes are going to get another top three pick. They're going to lose for like four straight seasons, and it's going to be really bad hockey. But you know what's going to happen? They're going to have like four superstars because of it, and it's going to lead to another run of Blackhawks greatness. And I'm just going, I can't believe my my brain is doing this. That I'm looking at the, the Blackhawks at the bottom going, that's what you got to do. <laughs> you got you got you to be willing to be really bad to do the actual rebuild. And everything I they've done. I think that's the biggest argument for trading Saros right now. Like you're never going to get that bad when you have a Vezina caliber goalie. But so counterpoint to that, because I will <laughs> always provide the counterpoint to the trade Saros argument. I think a lot of people are arguing trade Saros because he's the only guy who can get you a real difference maker in a return, which I agree with. However, I think they have the Predators have enough talent in Milwaukee. Like you said, we'll get to that. They have enough draft picks. God knows they have enough draft picks. And I think, you know, if you're looking for a difference maker right now, then you're missing the point because one guy trading Soros and getting, you know, top six, a top six forward is not going to help this team right now because, as we've said, this is not a team that's making a legitimate run at the Stanley Cup this year. We don't, as much as we may want a difference maker right now, that's not what we need. And so I would say different argument, but to the same point that, you know, you need pieces for the future, not that are going to help you right now. I mean, we saw what Vancouver did yesterday, trading for, for Lindholm with Calgary. That move makes sense for a team like Vancouver that's going to make a legitimate run at the Stanley Cup this year. I know a lot of Predators fans and media and people were saying, oh, the Preds should try to get Kuzmenko or Lindholm. Kuzmenko would have made a little more sense to me, honestly, than Lindholm. I just I don't think the Predators were in a position to pay what what Calgary got for for Lindholm and, you know, it, he's, he's also it a rental. He's a, he's could be a rental. Exactly. Right? Like exactly. And so the the Preds should not be in the rental business right now no. because they're not at that point at all. So I think again that would be my argument to not trade Soros right yeah. now. But I I think you know to the same point that you you don't as much as we may want immediate difference makers, especially on offense. That's not really going to help in the long run. Well, isn't it a prospect then? I mean, honestly, like it, it, you see this in baseball a lot more where you see the mainstream stud current major leaguer get moved for three of the top 25 prospects in, 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 you know, in all of baseball. And it's, you're getting a top line player, but you're getting a top line player in two years. Like you're like, that's ultimately, and it's not that the Preds don't have a lot of those guys. They don't have the guy though. Right. Like, can you win a cup? And this is maybe ultimately the point of Matt, who sent you the DM, which is everybody has to have a top three or four pick to win a, a cup outside of a handful of teams uh, over a long period of time. I mean, the question is, can you win a cup with like 12 Luke Evangelistas? <laughs> like, because he's a pretty good player, he's probably going to develop into a pretty good player. He's probably a second line winger who is a really, really good player for the Predators organization for 10 years. And what David Poyle built for Barry Trotz to now execute 
is to acquire like 12 Luke Evangelistas. Does that make sense? Like they, they don't they don't have the Connor Bedard guy. They don't have the, the, the Crosby or the Taves or the Dreisaitl or the McDavid. Like they don't have that guy in the system. They have a lot of really good players in the system. And can you win a cup with a great goaltender and a lot of really, really good players like late first round picks, high second round picks? Maybe. Maybe you can. I, I kind of feel like that's like the the great dream and what makes, you know, what people <laughs> love to think about the NHL. It's a salary cap league. You know, you don't need to have the guy. And to be fair, Connor Bedard is in a league of his own in every sense. So like you're not going to have a Connor Bedard in every draft class. It just is not going to happen. But I think I, I agree. I think you need a guy. Uh, you know, I think people kind of miss the point again with it being the cap league. You can't pay all of your money to one superstar. And there's also the point that you don't not every top three pick necessarily goes on to have, you know, a legendary NHL career. So I think it's just whether you acquire that guy in a trade or you draft him or whatever it is, I think you do need to build around that guy. And I think, you know, this team has been so focused on building around Forsberg, around Yossi, and that hasn't really happened yet because they're older and they're, you know, they're demanding a lot more Clock's money. Ticking. Clock's ticking. Yeah. And they're, they're demanding a lot more money right now, you know, at this stage in their career. And I think it's just, it's again, you can't look at right now, you have to look at the future and I'm not, I'm not advocating for a total tank. I don't think anyone wants that. I don't think Barry Trotz in his right mind would be willing to do that, but eventually you need to like, I think again, with this team, so much of it is, you know, there's so much sentimental value around this team, I think. And again, clinging to that memory of 2017. And I think you eventually you just you got to let it go. Well, I think that's also why, too, Saros's asking price is so astronomically high. Everyone's like, oh, Trotz is crazy if he thinks he's going to get what he's asking for. Well, that's kind of the point to, to Emma's point, too. Like you're you're not trading Saros now for a guy who can who can come in and score 30 goals right now like i laughed at all the people that over the summer were like oh call up toronto do kneelander for saros i'm like that doesn't make you better now you're giving up a goalie in his prime for a scorer who's 27 about to be 28 that doesn't help you with your rebuild and i i know when last year when we were talking about saros and i was texting some people trying to figure out like how close was this trade actually to, to coming down with the kings and it wasn't very close at all I heard that they had asked the Kings for Brant Clark, who is a stud defensive blue chip prospect, and Quentin Byfield. That's what it's going to take. And I, I kind of checked in. Um, I think it was Pierre Lebrun who had a story on the Athletic about it, and I kind of asked, like, "Well, what's Saros asking price now?" I was told the same thing. It's gonna it's gonna take two blue chip prospects at a minimum, plus a first round pick. Like, and, and that's the right way to go. Trotz clearly wants back players that have a high ceiling that can help you win in two or three years and not now. So if you're, if you're, I don't know, I threw out, someone was talking to me on Twitter about it. If you're New Jersey, like it's going to take Simon Nemec and Alex Holtz and probably a first round pick. It, it's going to take a lot of these guys. Like, and I think that's kind of, that's what Barry Trotz should be doing. Do I think Saros ultimately gets dealt? No, but if, if it happens, it's going to be because someone comes in with a crazy offer that none of us think that they're going to pay and they're going to give them their two or three best prospects plus a first round pick. And that that's the kind of offer it's going to take. So 
I, I do think Emma has a point. Like you, you don't trade Saros for someone who can come in and put up 30 goals right now because that does no good for you. Unless they're like 22, you know, yeah. and, and they're a bona fide future star. But like who's trading those players? Like no one. Yeah. No one is trading those. No one. Is and, and you good. need it. You need a top line center because I would argue like the, the, the depth that wing is probably as good as it's ever been with the organization. I think Svechkov has a shot to be a top six center. But I mean, and we could talk about this. I'm I'm still trying to piece the story together that I have on Trevor Zegers, and we can argue whether you think Trevor Zegers is that that top of the lineup center. But someone like that would make sense. Who's 22 years old? Who's already had multiple 20 goal, 60 point seasons? Someone with that high of a ceiling—that's who you would trade a Saros for. It's just—it's just not the way it gets done. It gets done with, you know, I, I look. Can you do it with Askarov as an elite number one goalie? And all these first round picks, I, I think it's certainly possible. If, if I, I think it's I think it's absolutely possible. And you can be a very good team for a very long time with all or you do what Trotz tried to do over the summer and you package a scar up with a couple of those picks and you move up to get a top five pick. That's that's probably the only way that we're gonna see the Predators pick in the area they need to to land that superstar, well, at least for the next couple of years. And and again, that's where trading Yossi at the deadline may help with that. Or y- Yossi, sorry, uh, Saros at the deadline can help you with that. But I also think you can also move him in the offseason. One year of a contract left, like there's some value. There's still plenty of value for Saros at any point in the calendar year. You're not forced, but I think you could find a team that is desperate. So let's hope a lot of goalies get injured between now and, and the middle of March. Well, that's also the problem, too. The teams that, that need a goaltender, you're talking about, you know, the Devils and the Hurricanes. Like these are playoff teams. You're, you're, if you take if you get a first round pick from those guys, it's going to be in the, the mid to late 20s. So it yeah. does no good to trade him to a really good team. Yep. Uh, absolutely. All right. So uh, we'll get into the positive here in just a second. Go to Jasper's, of course, uh, over there on West End. Free parking, free game room. Excellent place to watch your Nashville Predators and drink away your sorrows while they can't score or shoot the puck on the power play. Uh, but they do have great food and great drinks, great sight lines. You can watch all kinds of stuff over there. The game room is awesome. They will watch your children. That is not uh, a, a legal promise by them. That's just like me floating the idea. They'll they'll watch your kids for you, though. Uh, okay, so let's get into some positive stuff here. Go to Jasper's, everybody. So the great news about the organization, guys, and uh, again, this ties directly into what we just got done talking about, is that Milwaukee just went undefeated in January. <laughs> they just went 11-0. and uh, I think the longest win streaking AHL history is 28 games, which is just batshit crazy, by the way. Um, but they are clearly the best team in their division. They are one of the top two or three teams in all of the AHL. All of this is because clearly they are playing with a bunch of first-round picks. Uh, they are very loaded. They're all developing. It is. It should be exciting for the Predators when you pair some of the young talent and some of the pieces that are in place on the big roster in the NHL, being a, about a 500 team and clearly not being a, a championship contender, but you pair that with the, the prospect development and success that people are having on the lower level, and it's sort of it's clear where the future should be for this organization, and so I think fans should have a right to be excited about the young talent developing, and we'll get into what the system should look like and all that kind of stuff. But like, I know it's it's maybe it's a hard sell to fans who are season ticket holders who are spending a lot of money to go to Bridgestone Arena and watch them play a game like they did against the Kings, but eleven and zero. 10-point lead, 12-point lead in the division in the AHL with a bunch of first-round picks that you're trying to develop, that is really, really good news for the organization. I will say, if you're if you're struggling with watching Predators hockey right now, go get an AHL TV subscription. <laughs> Watch these Admiral games because they are they're fun, they're fast-paced, 
They're never boring. Even in shutouts, Askarov is, is doing crazy stuff. And and Aaron Sims is one of the best play-by-play guys I've ever heard. Like, go get a, a subscription to AHL TV and watch the Admirals games because you'll not be disappointed. It's money well spent. And and you you mentioned it. Like two of the two of the Admirals players are in the top ten in scoring. Afanasiev and then Mark Jankowski is. I know he's not a prospect, but he's third in the AHL in, in scoring with forty four points. Like they they have a lot of guys that can go out and score. And you're looking at the future of the team. You got Svechkov, Larue, Kemmel, Afanasiev, Askarov. Like there's so many players. And then you got Stastny and Delgaizo. Like they're loaded. If, if if half of these guys like hit when they get to the NHL, the Predators are going to be in good shape for for the future. Emma, Emma is stunned. <laughs> <laughs> She's debating I, I, about getting an AHL TV subscription. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. No, I, no notes, honestly. I mean, I think it's, you've also got like the younger, you know, like the Reed Schaefer's and, and guys like that who are there. And that kind of what we were talking about before is trading for a top prospect. We got Schaefer in the Matthias Eckholm trade from Edmonton. And so you're looking at, you know, making moves like that, that if you want to have the guy, and I'm not saying that Reed Schaefer is the guy, uh, but, you know, top tier talent at that level, you know, that's where you can look at, you know, maybe getting getting those pieces for the future. And like you said, you got to hope that they all hit when they get to the NHL level. Certainly possible. Um, but I would also argue you don't want to rush that process. And I've said it before with a scar off and I'll say it with, with other guys too. I think the worst thing you can do is, is bring guys up before they're ready. Sometimes you don't have a choice. Like last year, everyone on the predators roster either got traded or injured and you didn't have a choice. But again, for right now, you know, a lot of people are arguing and clamoring to say, we want to see Stastny and we want to see whoever, you know, I think, again, for a team that's not in win now mode that, you know, maybe the best thing to do is just have some patience, let these guys continue going on this tear that they're on in Milwaukee, because that is kind of your glimpse at the future of this organization. And and that's what I've been telling people for the last year with, with when is Kemmel going to get to the NHL? I'm like, the guy is not NHL ready right now. And you look, he's yeah, he's got 10 goals and 23 points in 35 games. But I feel like for a player of, of his caliber, you would like to see them at least be a point-per-game player in the AHL before you call them up to the NHL. In my, in my opinion, the only two players on the Admirals roster that are NHL-ready right now are Afan Asiev and Spencer Stastny. Everybody else, I feel like, is either really close or they're a year or two away. So I do think when you're watching these games, yes, keep that in mind. Have some patience with these guys. Like, I know watching Zach LaRue, it's awfully tempting to be like, man, if you if you had him on the roster right now, I don't think LaRue is going to play at the the level he is in Milwaukee in the NHL. I think Afanasiev and Stastny are really the only guys that have proven like they're kind of they've hit their ceiling in the AHL. And I would like to see both of those guys called up, you know, down the stretch for the final 30 games if there's a spot in the lineup for them. Uh, but but I do think I'm right. Like you have to have patience with a lot of these guys. And, and Trotz has even said that he like he prefers to let them spend as much time and, and maybe overcook down there as opposed to calling them up before they're ready. And and winning a, a Calder Cup, a championship at the AHL, is not really the thing that you measure this team against, right? Like, and this goes for any sport. Like, your your minor leagues are, sure, you want to win, and the 11-0 record is really cool, and the, the success and development of the players is leading to that, but... And and they kind of have, let's be honest, a complete group of players, right? They've got an elite goaltending prospect. They've got a couple of good defense prospects. They got a lot of forward prospects. Like they kind of have all of it there. So that would, in theory, lead to very good a very good hockey team. 
But like if they win the Calder, if they win a championship on that level, like great, that's cool. It's like winning a bowl game. Like it's fun, it's nice, but it doesn't mean all the players are developed and ready to play in the NHL. Like you're you have two tracks of of you're trying to win, but you're trying to develop. And that those are two sometimes those things don't always mix. And I've talked to Kyle Carl Taylor about that. Like there are moments of the season where you may play a guy in a different position on the power play or play a guy in a different part of the line because you're trying to develop a certain skill set, not trying to win games. And so there is a there's a balance there, but it can't be bad that all these young players are getting better, putting up points, producing statistically, and that they're they're winning games. Like it can't it's not a bad thing. It's it's like yeah, house, I mean, it's house money. AHL head coaches aren't judged on the number of Calder Cups they win. They're judged on the number of NHL players that ha- are successful once they get to the league. So I mean. Yeah. No one's going to sure the people that live in Milwaukee where this is like the big for them to go to, to Admirals games like they're going to remember if they win a Calder Cup this year. But none of these players are 10 years from now be like, oh, yeah, remember in 2024, when we won that Calder Cup. That was that was a really big highlight of my career. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have a ton more conversation about the trade deadline and about specific pieces and sort of strategy down the stretch. But I do, you know, your your guy over there at Nashville Hockey Now, Clay Brewer, wrote a long, long story about what like. And maybe you need to put this into the better. I'm I'm supposed to be the talker of the group, and long as underselling it. That that <laughs> that story took me 45 minutes to edit. Uh, and it's hard to kind of like just from a system standpoint, an Andrew Burnett system standpoint, putting guys into the right position and not forcing players to do things outside of their role. Like it, it seems like he's got sort of a complicated thesis in there that you know i'd like you you to try to boil it down for folks because again go check it out go read it um and and it's worth your time there's a lot of strategy about the trade deadline and the goaltending and there's other things in there but i think what ties into this conversation which is the development of the players at the ahl level when are they going to be ready the current roster and their current strategy and andrew burnett's system are, are we not seeing a blend of the roster and the system appropriately right now is that what ne- and and is that on everybody at this point michael yeah, I, I feel like I want to, you know, commend Clay for for writing the story. It's the, it's the best thing he's ever written for me so far. Um, he's still young and growing in, in in the industry, so I'm sure there will be a lot more pieces like this. But uh, if you haven't read it, go to Nashville Hockey Now and read it. It's it's a great 1800 word. I know that sounds a little intimidating, but it's a great 1800 word kind of state of the franchise where they are right now and. He touches on a lot of things, kind of breaking down, like like you mentioned earlier, like if you're going to, you know, trade Johansson and get rid of Duchesne and you're going to replace Poyle with Trotz and Hines with Brunette, like clearly, you know, change needs to happen. But for some reason, like the roster is still kind of a David Poyle-esque roster. And he touches on a lot of stuff and he goes into um, just kind of breaking down how like they're they're an okay team. They're a good team. They're, they're not competing with some of the elite teams. And then he goes into talking about like all the changes that were promised over the summer and how they've kind of been under delivered on. And then he goes into talking about Andrew Burnett's system and, and how he like the roster that the Predators have right now is not one that's going to be successful with how Andrew Burnett wants to run the team. And he, he says like, he doesn't have the, he doesn't, he has, he doesn't have bad players. He doesn't, he just doesn't have the right players. Like he does. I think he, the line in the story is he doesn't have the horses for the race he wants to run. And then he goes through and he goes and he said, okay, I've laid all this stuff out. Here's, here's a path to kind of what you need to do. And he lays out the, you know, uh, five players that he thinks the the foundation of the team should be built on um, talks about some players in Milwaukee that he thinks could be part of the, the new core going forward. 
uh, kind of sorts out what they should do with the goaltenders because you obviously you have two in the NHL and one that's chomping at the bit to get to the NHL next year. Obviously, one of them has to go at some point. Talks about the defense and kind of, you know, there's the, the Carrier-Fabro debate. Tyson Berry's about to be gone. Stassi's probably going to get called up and he talks about kind of how that all fits into everything. And then he kind of ends it talking about, you know, an eye towards the future. Some of the players that are uh, unrestricted free agents and restricted free agents, kind of who should be brought back, who should be kept, who kind of fits into the the mentality of the new core for the team. Um, and then just kind of ties it all together and, and just talks about like basically how uh, Brunette and uh, Trotz were brought in to kind of not clean house, but they were brought in to, to change the culture, which I think they've, they've done or they've at least tried to do. And then, aside from changing the culture, like they need to change the results. They need to change the roster and turn the roster over and get some of the guys that are in Milwaukee up playing some time in the NHL and all that stuff. And basically just talks about everything, every, everything that a Predators fan has been in my mentions about trick clay addresses in the story. So go <laughs> well, read it. It's a lot. There's a lot in there, but it's, it's well worth, well worth your time. So Emma, I know you've written about a lot of these guys at uh, the hockey writers. And to me, it's about the modernization of the, of the franchise it's about moving the franchise to both of your points earlier in the show away from 2017 and into let's call it 2027 just for la for lack of a better term uh you've written about some of these guys and and i think you know andrew brunette calling out philip tomasino not really calling him out but basically saying look he had a pretty good game against ottawa but he wasn't doing all the things we needed him to do and i wasn't confident enough to put him out there in the third period in critical situations even though he had played well early in the game well, I thought he looked pretty good in the third period in particular against the Kings. I, he was moving the puck. He was creating offense. He he helped a little poke check into the zone, actually led to one of the goals. Like, And so ultimately, I think taking that big picture look at what the system and the marriage between the system and the players should be, how what who of these pieces, to me, that, that says... These, some of these guys need new roles and we've got you've written and, and we've talked about some of these guys not being given the opportunity maybe by the coaching staff to have some of these roles. Who are the names then that need to be given different roles if we are talking about fitting the roster and the, the horses, the right horses into the right system at the right places? Well, I know we were joking yesterday about uh, how Philip Tomasino must have heard what what Andrew Burnett said about him not being able to trust him late in the game. And he said, well, hold my beer watch what I can do. So I think that, you know, we saw that and that was great for one game. I think we right. need to see right. that some more. I'm not saying we can't, but you know, and that, that was a, a key thing that Burnett said after the game is that those young guys have finally started to step up. We need them down the stretch. We need them to keep doing it. So we're talking about guys in new roles. I think, you know, I, I like giving Tomasino more opportunities, you know, in those, the, the third period or, or overtime, if that's applicable, I still would like to see Cody glass on the wing. Um, and, and Tommy Novak back at center. That's something that I would like to see more of. I think, you know, I just, I, obviously I know right now we're starting to get looks at Tyson Berry. He's quarterbacking the power play. You know, that's kind of his audition to get sent off at the, for a potential trade partner at the deadline. 
But I think you give guys, you know, more opportunities on the power play, but you got to keep the same groups together, I feel like, for them to get any kind of chemistry. Um, and it was something I actually talked to Tommy Novak about yesterday before the Kings game. And he said, you know, I asked him about moving to the wing and how the transition's been for him and things like that. And he said, yeah, honestly, we're kind of all like, for most of us, we don't get to play with the same players game in and game out. So we're kind of used to that. And I said, I asked him, I said, is it, does that almost make it harder? Is that a challenge? You know, because you can't really get chemistry with guys. And I think he was, he was careful not to, not to sell anybody out or throw anybody under the bus, I think. But he said, you know, it, it's something you need to be able to do. Like it, it's something you need to be able to do. And I, I think that that speaks to Clay's point about maybe not having the horses that you need to run the race that you want to run. And I think giving, giving guys more of those opportunities, I think you need to give Tomasino some more playing time. I think you need to try Cody glass on the wing. I think maybe eventually you move the, if that line stays together, which is a big, if, as I just said, move the Novak glass evangelista line up, have them play some more minutes, uh, eventually not saying right away, but you know, I think that one of the things that brunette was saying that, you know, okay, great. We're creating all of these chances, but we're not finishing. So what needs to happen for the, for them to be able to finish. And he said, you know, I think it's the confidence. A lot of guys are just gripping their sticks a little too hard right now because they don't have the confidence to finish. Okay. Well, that's, I, I respect that he sees that and he wants to make sure that he doesn't throw these guys into top line minutes right away because that's going to diminish their confidence if they keep getting shut down by the other team's top lines. But eventually you need to start giving them a little bit more of that opportunity little by little. And if we look at Philip Tomasino as an example of that, you know, if he keeps this going, if he keeps this level of production, not just production, I mean, he scored twice in his last two games and that's great. But if you just watch even kind of the intangibles of his game that don't necessarily show up on the, on the score sheet, he is playing with more confidence. So I think you need to handle that with care. You know, you may be, yeah, little by little start giving him more time and more opportunities. But, you know, I, I think eventually that does need to happen. You can't keep burying these guys and having them play yeah. like barely any minutes in the third period, or they're not going to be able to develop that. I feel like we're, we're at a point where Andrew Burnett needs to take a deep breath and just let go of control of some things. Like, like you said, like Tomasino, I, I get what Burnett's saying that maybe there are some things in his game that he doesn't trust him late in the game with the game on the line, but how is he ever supposed to have the opportunity to build that trust? If you never put him in those positions to build said trust. So I, I, I get it. I understand the kind of coach that Andrew Burnett is and that he wants to be. And I, I know what he wants from this team, but I think he's going to have to accept he's going to have to relinquish some of the control that he wants, because like you said, if he keeps burying these guys down in the lineup, they're never going to get a chance to show him one that they can trust him and two, that they can be the kind of players that he wants them to be. And he even admitted last night that he's been maybe a little bit too hard on them and he's kind of demanded a lot from them. And that's great. Like you, you should be doing that as a coach, but also as a coach, you should be empowering your players. You should be 
they should be progressing under them. And I think that was that was a big issue with John Hines is a lot of the younger players didn't really develop and progress. They just kind of hit a wall and then it was like, okay, well, they suck. Let's get rid of them. I think I don't think we have to worry about that now with with trots of brunette in charge. But I do think it's one of those things where maybe you don't trust Tomasino, but you know what? Put him out there and let him go prove to you that you can trust him. And it, it, like the Novak glass Thomas or Novak glass Evangelista line, the fact that I know Brunette gets into this whole I, I don't have a one, two, three, four line thing, but they should not be the third line. They should be the second line. Trenton Sissons and Gurianov, I just don't feel like they offer you a lot offensively. I know defensively they're they're stronger than some of the other lines. So maybe it makes sense to have them out there against, you know, a, another team's top line or their second line or whatever, but not all the time. You need to have your offensive guys in positions to be offensive. You need to have your defensive guys in positions to be defensive. And I, I don't feel like Brunette's doing a good job of doing that. I think he's doing it with with the top line because he knows what to do with the top line. He knows what he's going to get and he knows what to expect from them. But the guys like Tomasino and Glass and Novak and, and and the guys that he doesn't really know what to expect, I think he's having a hard time kind of managing them, if that makes sense. I almost feel like he shelters his young players maybe a little too much. And I think it comes from a good place. I think it comes from wanting to make sure that, you know, he doesn't, have them bite off more than they can chew or, or whatever it is, because he is very much a player's coach and he understands what it's like to, to be in that position. And, you know, he, I think he wants to do right by those guys, but I think in a way, like you said, he's almost, he's holding them back a little too much because he doesn't want their, he's so concerned about not having them get their confidence destroyed. And, and the, the comment that he made about asking too much or not too much, but asking a lot of guys and demanding a lot of them and, you know, getting them kind of burnt out. He made that comment directly in relation to the veterans on the team, the older players. So that is like your top line that you're talking about. And the guys like Yossi and Ryan McDonough and, and the guys, it's like, he knows he can trust those guys because obviously they've proven in their careers that he can trust them. So he's asking a lot of them. And I don't think he's asking enough, frankly, of the younger yeah. players. And I think that you're now starting to see the results of that. The older guys, they've done what they can, but they're hitting that wall now. And now it's time for the younger guys to to step up. And and Brunette did say that, you know, we're going to need these young guys down the stretch if we're going to have any prayer at making the playoffs or making a, a legitimate run, which is, you know, fine. And and he mentioned, you know, last year we saw what happened. They really made a push down the stretch with all the young guys they had. That I think was kind of, I mean, you could argue why that was, but I think a lot of it was there were zero expectations for, for the roster. That was not an NHL roster that they had <laughs> at the end of last season. And yeah. I think it was kind of like, all right, let's just go out there and and see what you got. And I think to a degree, maybe not quite to that same level, but to a degree, you need to start doing that. And so I agree with Michael. I think you maybe I understand it comes from a good place. You're trying to protect your your players, your young players and do right by them. But eventually you got to you got to lengthen the leash a little bit. So, I think I agree with both you guys and for example, Colton Sissons in the slot against the Kings. Very high danger chance. Misses it wide of the net. Doesn't even hit a post when everyone else is hitting a post. I love Colton Sissons' game. He is a critical piece on this team. He's a historic piece dating back to 2017. 
But ideally, you have a player with higher skill and talent in that situation, and they finish that shot. They put it on frame, at least. So to me, that's where Glass or Evangelista or, you know, maybe Kemmel later in the year, whoever it is that's a part of this development process, Tomasino, who, by the way, put a brilliant pass by Yossi, but finishes the job because he's just a higher level player, offensive skill situation. You know, Luke Shen versus Spencer Stasny. What does Luke Shen being in the lineup benefit this organization long term over Spencer Stasny? It probably doesn't. So what this all requires, and and I agree with you guys, I think what this requires is is, is patience from the fan base. The fans have to be patient if what we're all saying is we're going to transition from some of the veterans into the younger pieces, give them more responsibility, slowly but surely, which sounds a lot like parenting, uh, and and let them just sort of like learn how to grow into themselves as professionals. That all sounds like what has to happen for this team to continue to grow. I think the best situation, though, for this team to do that is out of the playoffs because then the pressure is not there every single night to go out and be perfect. You, If you are already out of the playoffs, and I'm not saying eliminated, you're playing 500 hockey, but clearly four or five spots out of the playoffs, you know, they're, they're 11 or 12 points back of the top three of third place in the Central Division. Like, they're not even close to the third place slot in the Central Division. That should take some pressure off the coaching staff and the players to be a little bit more free with some of these decisions. And I think all of that will require will require patience from the fans. That is, we've said it from the beginning of the year. You got to go into this with sort of anything that good happens this year is house money, uh, because the goal is to get better for next year and to acquire data to learn about players to know that Jeremy Lozon can be a part of the future. Right? Like these are the things that you're trying to figure out this year. Um, so anyway, I, I agree with you guys. We'll have a much bigger conversation about the last 30 and second half of the season next week. We got the all-star break coming up. Milwaukee's surging along. We got a lot of stuff to do next week on the show. Um, so, uh, you guys to, to wrap up here, uh, obviously go to Jasper's of course, but, uh, what are you guys working on Nashville hockey now, of course, and the hockey writers, what do you guys got for the good folks out there? Yeah, I'm still finishing up that uh, Trevor Zegers story. I've been working on it for seems like a year now, uh, trying to piece together if he makes sense for the Predators, what it would take, stuff like that. I spoke to a couple uh, people that are familiar with him. I'll have that wrapped up. And then I'm also working on a long form story, kind of assessing um, Andrew Burnett's system, uh, how it's worked through 50 something games of the year. Kind of is it sustainable over a full season? Do to Clay's point, do they have the horses that can can run that system, stuff like that, and, and hopefully try to find some analytics and metrics that'll back up the point that I'm trying to prove there. Um, and then we'll just have random trade deadline stuff, news pops up, everything like that. And over at the Hockey Writers, I, as of last week, have uh, taken over the Predators uh, paid subscription site over there. So if you want to pay to get premium content, we'll have a couple pieces of premium Preds content that'll be video content, audio content, things like that. You can do that. Uh, also, though, if you don't want to pay and you want to sign up for free, you can receive a weekly newsletter about the Preds curated and written by yours truly uh, to kind of go over everything that's happened in the last week. Uh, our latest content from all of our writers, which can include, you know, trade rumors and things like that. And then as far as actual stories I'm looking at, you know, I am kind of working on something similar to what we talked about today with, with why this team can't finish, you know, they're making chances and they can't finish. 
why that is uh, and what needs to happen. And then kind of looking ahead to the trade deadline and looking at, you know, what pieces would make sense to trade and what wouldn't. There you have it. Pay a couple of bucks each month for good quality reporting, journalism, and information for your Nashville Predators, of course, Nashville Hockey Now and the Hockey Writers. And go to Jasper's, of course, over on West End. Proud, proud sponsor and partner of the Nashville Predators. Great drink specials. Home and road games, of course. Free parking always. Always free parking. The game room is great. And, of course, the food, number one, spectacular. So go check that out. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, of course. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show, tell somebody about it. We really appreciate the audience participation. So, keep sending those dms we do appreciate you guys shout out to matt for listening for michael and emma i am Braden. thank you guys have a great weekend enjoy the all-star break we'll talk to you next week here this has been the gold standard on the 440 sports network